Folks, a quick message from our sponsors, Know Before. So what's a con game? It's a fraud that works by getting the victim to misplace their confidence in the con artist. In the world of cybersecurity, we call confidence tricks social engineering. And as our sponsors, Know Before, will tell you, human error is how most organizations are compromised. What are some of the ways organizations are victimized by social engineering? We'll find out here in just a minute. Now, our sponsors' questions about forms of social engineering come in this form. Know Before will tell you that there's human contact, there can be con games. It's important to build the kind of security culture in which your employees are enabled to make smart security decisions. To do that, they need a new school security awareness training. See how security culture stacks up against Know Before's free phishing test. Get it now at knowbefore.com forward slash phishing test. That's knowbefore.com forward slash fishing test. Now, no before wants to thank you for listening to the show and I want to thank them for sponsoring it. They are the provider of the world's largest security awareness and simulated fishing platform. Be sure to take advantage of their free fishing test, which you can find at knowbefore.com forward slash fishing test. Think no before for your security training. Hey folks, welcome to the CISA Talk Podcast. I am your host, James Azar. I've got a very, very special guest coming right up. But before we get started, make sure to subscribe to our CISO Talk Podcast. If you're watching us on YouTube, subscribe now and make sure to follow the CISO Talk Podcast playlist to catch all the latest and greatest CISO Talk episodes. Make sure to check our CyberHub Podcast as well with our daily live podcast at 9 a.m. Monday through Thursday, Eastern Standard Time, where you can catch the latest risk impact and mitigation on the on the latest cybersecurity news. Now we're going to get right into our interview, but before we do that folks, make sure to comment and subscribe to the podcast as I've said today's show is supported by our friends over at Know Before and Wistic, so make sure to check those folks out. Now, we're going to be right back with our guest for today's show, Renana Friedlich. We'll be right back. Here we go folks. Countdown's on. From the Cyber Hub Bunker and Studio, you're listening to the CISO Talk Podcast. No sales, no bullshit, just straight talk. Straight talk. And now for your host and CISO, James Azar. All right, folks, we are back running up. Did I say it right? I know I've been like I know how to say it in Hebrew. It's not fair. Like trying to take your awesome name from Hebrew to English is debauchery. I should just say it like it is in Hebrew, but it's Renana Friedlich, right? Did I say it right? Yes, it is. Good count. Okay. Uh Renana, Renana, who I had the awesome pleasure of meeting when we were doing our InfoSec Hires Challenge with Naomi and Renee. If you don't, you don't catch those. CISO Thursdays at a, at 1 p.m. now, Eastern Standard Time, every Thursday with the folks that break it into cybersecurity. Um, you'll definitely want to catch it. Fun stuff. We actually met our goal. So we got 10 people hired. We just found out this weekend that the 10th person who we helped was hired in January. They just waited 10 days to notify us. That's not... Very I cool. I get so excited. I think it was one of the guys I reviewed his resume personally. It, it was. Yeah, it was. Because I saw the post from, Na- I saw like the message from Naomi and, it, and he had your name and Naomi's name. So thank you for your help. You know, Chris has taken that challenge and turned it into like 221 in 2021, Amazing. which is insane. So we're 10 down, 211 to go. I'm ready. Let's get we'll started. Get, we'll get it done. So Folks, thank you for tuning into this week's uh, podcast. We took last week off, got ourselves gathered. I also launched a brand new podcast called CISO Secrets. And Ranana, just give our, our our awesome audience a little bit of background about you and how you got started in cyber and how you ended up at PayPal. Sure. So I got introduced into cybersecurity like 16 years ago, long time. Uh, but I was always drawn into computers and, and the internet, breaking things, trying to put them all together. Um, and so during the last 16 years, I served in the military for seven years uh, as part of the Israeli Defense Forces and a late intelligence unit. I then spent seven years with Ernst & Young, where I for- served Fortune 500 companies and helped them with all kinds of security matters. And as part of my current role with PayPal, I had our cyber defense program. And 
and keep our clients and employees safe. Yeah, PayPal has an has has a very cool mission because PayPal does a lot more than what most people think PayPal does. Like no one quite understands PayPal's lines of business, but PayPal has so many different business units. Right. And you're you're kind of leading all the different business units uh, through cybersecurity operations. Yeah, my my teams across the globe are responsible for everything from vulnerability management, data protection, the security operations center, engineering, threat intelligence, intelligence, the list goes goes on and on. And we work tirelessly day in, day out to keep everyone safe. Yeah, I, I, I love it. It's the fact that I did a PayPal transaction just before we started today. So literally not a joke. I can prove it. I have it on my phone. Like some people are going to be like, you're just saying it for the sake of saying it. No, I'm really not. Uh, I, I I feel more comfortable. Like I bank with banks where I know the CISOs and like I've had conversations with them because I trust it a little bit more. Like I can't bank somewhere where I don't know anyone. Yeah, you're not the first person who said this to me. So thank you, James. <laughs> <Thanks a> lot. <laughs> like you kind of want to know the people, right? You kind of want to understand like there are some financial institutions that will never see my business because I know people that work there and I know the stuff that like I know enough dirt to go up not doing business there. Oh, boy. Oh boy. No, uh, it, you know, it's funny since I started with PayPal um, and a fun fact, I started during the pandemic. I never met anyone. Um, any of my peers, any of my colleagues, like no one. So um, I have people like reaching out to me saying, hey, can you look at this transaction? Or hey, I get this email coming from PayPal. Um, and so it's it's a real honor to get to interact with everyone and help them on their own individual path. Yeah, because you guys are like a really top fished brand. And we'll talk about security in a little bit. I want to talk to you about something we started talking about early on in the podcast which is hiring and leadership because, you know, we talk a lot about breaking into cybersecurity. And when I do these CISO Thursdays with Naomi and Renee and Chris, we, you know, the goal is to kind of break down the walls, the barriers that exist for a lot of people to get into cyber. Could you tell us a little bit about what are some of the qualities and skills you look for when you're hiring people for your team at PayPal? Sure. So there are really three things that that I look for, um, and I'm curious if anyone will mention this to me during an interview, like in the next few months. <laughs> so first thing that I look for are people that are smart, and and that doesn't just mean being like technically savvy and and knowing your craft. That's that's obviously the obvious, but being able to read the situation, understand the bigger context, and and what we're going after. Second thing that I'm looking for are people that are humble, people that can take feedback and walk with it, you know, just just go about their days and and get things done. And then finally, I'm looking for people who are team players, people who want to work with other people who want to be part of a greater mission than just their own individual craft. And to me, a combination of all three is really necessary for one to be successful on my teams. Yeah, it's so talk to me a little bit about how you build your team. So what are, you know, being hired in a pandemic, that's obviously a challenge. You've never met anyone. So you're managing these, the, your team without ever actually like shaking their hand, you know, and we're Israelis. So we hug, like we don't shake hands. Like in Israel, there's no such thing as shaking hands. Like Israelis, we hug and kiss. Like that's just the nature of Israel. Like that's the most wonderful thing about Israel. You'll like need in the states for too long. <laughs> you you, you you'll need a random person. And I remember, like, I met like someone random when I moved to Israel in two thousand and nine. Right, I was at the airport and I was doing Aliyah, and so you know you have the Misrata Klita, like the uh, the the um, the government officials that help you when you land, and they're like, "Welcome to Israel," right? And they hug me and kiss me, and I'm like, "Okay, is this like a aloha?" Like. Like, you know, when you land in Hawaii, you know, it used to be that they would, you know, give you, you know, the, you know, the aloha and, you know, welcome. And I'm like, is this kind of like aloha? And then I realized in like the first week, everyone I met, everyone hugged and kissed. And I'm like, I could get used to this. This is much better than handshakes. So how'd you deal with that? So I actually get to hire more than 20 people to my teams um, across the globe. 
during the pandemic. And, you know, just sitting down here and reflecting hundreds of resumes, you know, so many interviews, panel interviews, technical interviews. And at the end of the day, you want to get a sense of like, who's that person in front of you? What are they about? Um, what's the motivation behind joining the company? Why would they fit with the overall team culture? And I think when you think about culture, um, one thing that, that's really important for me is everyone should have the ability to speak up, down, sideways. Like, I don't care how long you've been in cyber or, or not. Uh, what's your rank? What's your age? Where you're based out of? I don't care about these. I care about what you have to say and make sure that everyone has a voice at the table. And so if you look at our operations operating globally across like seven different time zones, it can be really hard to bubble this up to the surface. And, and it's my responsibility as a leader of, of such an amazing group of people, more than 60 people here at PayPal, to give them the time and give them my, my best self and my best energy when we have these interactions. I love that. That's awesome. So when you let's talk a little bit about your leadership. All right. Because oftentimes cybersecurity leaders have been reflected in history as kind of being antisocial, right? You know, we've we've all seen kind of like the antisocial club shirts and hoodies. Mm-hmm. Kind of been like cybersecurity people uh, historically have been kind of characterized as not very outgoing personalities, not very good leaders. What are some of the skills you think are needed? in order for someone to be successful as a leader in cybersecurity? So I think most importantly is, is you gotta, while you have to understand your domain, you gotta have the, the expertise, you gotta see the big picture. You gotta see, have a good understanding of the business. What's the business all about? And how do you as a leader serve the business? How do you support it? How do you enable it? And, and oftentimes, by the way, that's really the most critical point for people who are trying to grow beyond just the technical expertise. So think of it as you look at a situation and many people just see, again, technical. That's, that's what I know. That's what I need to hear. How do you think about it from a different angle? So let's, let's use legal here as an example. Many people are like, oh, we have lawyers on the call. They have to worry about privilege. Um, They have to worry about privacy. And probably one of the best learnings experience for me was, hey, I need to have a good understanding about it. I need to know when to bring in the lawyers instead of just wait for them to give me a call and say, hey, there's something we need to talk about. So I really think that you have to educate yourself and, and be better at listening and and reading the room and seeing the big picture. I love that. So when you look at cybersecurity today, obviously in the last year or so, it's really taken a more central role in a lot of boardrooms, uh, especially after solar winds, there's been a lot more conversation around cyber. How do cybersecurity leaders really um, work better with the rest of the business and not just within their own cyber teams, but how do you build a security culture across the business? I, I love this question. And the reason I like it, if you think that security is only the security team's problem, you're never going to be successful. You have developers, you have all kinds of different departments within the organization. They're all part of this game. And so to me, it starts with making sure everyone understands they're in the business of cybersecurity. It's not just me or them. And then once you set up that very basic understanding, and I talk about it here now, like it's an easy thing to do, which it obviously isn't, then you want to have good relationships and, and establish these connections. If you see something, what do you do? Are people afraid of bringing up an issue um, because they know something will happen? Maybe there will be some consequences to reporting something up the chain, right? And so how do you provide that very safe environment where instead of pointing fingers and say, you didn't do this or you didn't do that, uh, you really start the, the conversation and heading in the right direction? 
Yeah, it's um, you bring up such a great point, which is, you know, if you think that security is just within the cyber team, you're you're really mistaken. But the challenge a lot of times is, you don't. A lot of cybersecurity leaders don't quite understand the different functions of the business. So, share with us a little bit about how how do you kind of reach across the other aspects of the business? What are some of your best practices around, you know, different ways of engaging the business to better understand it, especially at a company that's really diverse, like PayPal, that has so many different lines of business and each is very different from the other one. So one thing that I think is, is absolutely crucial is establishing a regular cadence. Don't talk about security only when there's an issue, right? If, if you do that, Everyone's going to imagine you as like, oh, here's that person I never want to talk to. Because if I talk to them, it means something bad has happened. And so establishing regular cadence, whether that's through regular meetings, maybe biweekly or monthly meetings where you just sit down and talk about security. Maybe it's a matter of, of attending some of the meetings that they have and presenting there. And so I've been hosting a, a show with, with one of my colleagues uh, where we break down all kinds of attacks and talk about what were some of the issues and what can you do to mitigate those. And we've sat down with hundreds of developers just wanting to help educate and, and bring things to awareness. Because at the end of the day, when you sit there in front of your computer and you're writing code, you don't know necessarily that there were very severe consequences. And just by reading the news, all of the, the recent attacks we all read about, it, it starts with a human. Yeah, the, the human element. Um, um, last Friday's Tech Corner, I debated James McQuiggan around awareness, culture, and technology. And what's more important out of the three in order to really address the human error? We had a very, very fruitful debate. Um, the feedback's been awesome so far. Because we we bring up a lot of different challenges from, you know, the idea of, you know, short-term, mid-term, and long-term gains, and how do you address the human factor? Because we all work on the, no one today, you know, I I like to watch old movies, Mm -hmm. right? Like, I love old cinema and old films. And I was watching an old film over the weekend, and it was a, uh, a, a, you know, the, the entire film and the entire outline had not one computer or digital device in it. Everything was on paper. Mm. But we don't have that anymore in business. There's no one in business today that's pure, that doesn't have a digital screen in front of them. Right. Everyone's on the internet. And so, and everyone's works on the internet. No one's on a piece of paper anymore. The, the human element is more important than ever. And, you know, I, I read online recently, I don't remember the name of the company, um, we did a phishing campaign to test the, the awareness of their employees. And they used something about, you know, COVID and like sign up here to get your vaccination or year end bonuses, right? We used this and then we're like, aha, gotcha. And what, what experience are we leaving our employees with if we go and do that? Is that really a positive experience? So next time we see a phishing email, they like to, reach out and, and report it? Or is it the experience of like, you failed, we won, do another training, right? Another wibble on how, how to identify phishing emails. So we gotta start shifting the perspective from being so negative to being more positive. And I attended a talk probably two or three years ago, but I still remember it vividly. And they talked about how instead of Instead of coaching their employees, they actually gave them rewards. They started assigning like badges um, and started celebrating employees who reported phishing attacks instead of just nagging them and, and sending them to do web-based training. Yeah, there's. I, I'm a firm, even in my own organization, I'm a firm believer in that awareness isn't sending someone an email that <laughs> would automatically jerk a reaction from them but it's i like to send them emails where to see instead of clicking are they going to recognize and report it i feel like the reporting rate of phishing to me is more important than the click rate because the reporting rate to me is 
the um, tattletale that awareness is working. The click rate, well, there's 500 different things that can go wrong of why someone would click it. You're catching them at a weird time of day. You're sending it at a uh, in a topic or something that followed up a conversation. And we know that the threat actors aren't always that sharp or that good. They're lucky, but they're not that sharp and that good. So I don't dismiss click rates on phishing emails. I do look for the reporting rate. To me, that's um, that's more indicative of how awareness should be. Yeah. To me, that's that's pure awareness, right? Right. Well, knowledgeable enough to identify something's wrong and actually do something about it. Right. And report it. I can't tell you when we do those uh, tests, the help desk gets a lot of calls or we'll start to see a bunch of emails come in. I got this email. I haven't clicked anything, but it looks really suspicious. Could you confirm? Mm -hmm. And that's what we look for, right? If we get a high percentage of engagement there, well, you know, a, a business back when we worked in buildings, people would be like, hey, be careful. I just got a really weird email and then tell everyone in their row. Now from home, we see it on the Slack channels, right? We see it on Slack. Someone saying, hey, I'm getting hit with this email. Everyone beware. And then we see everyone else reporting it. So all it takes is one sharp person to let their entire team know. And that spreads like wildfire. And that's the beauty of awareness. And I think that's a big aspect of a successful awareness program. Yeah. Don't you think it's it's amazing we dealt with phishing emails like 15, 20 years ago, and we still deal with it in masses like in 2021? Well, we still deal with mail fraud, like U.S. Postal Service fraud. I think anything that is dealt with communication is always going to be a challenge. I mean, I've heard some very smart people talk about phishing, way smarter than me. And no one has a foolproof solution because we still work by emails. We still work by SMS. We still communicate via these digital means. And as long as you and I communicate during those digital means, we're bound. That's our interaction. So, so I mean, it's, it's really difficult. I remember like postal fraud, right? Like postal fraud was a thing. Yeah, absolutely. And so... Yeah, I mean, we've been dealing with it for 20 years, and it started with the Nigerian print scams, right? Still going, Those are, by the way, still going strong. Yeah, because there's 7 billion people on Earth, and guess what? It's a statistic game. You get a bunch of emails, you throw it out. Some people have never watched 60 Minutes or haven't seen the local news talking about this stuff and fall for it. It's statistics. Very true. Right? I mean... That's the challenges in, in as 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 a practitioner yourself. We're dealing. We're trying to defend our organization, our employees, our customers. We're trying to be good partners to our vendors, to our strategic partners, to our investors, to our stakeholders, and so we have a lot of responsibilities as practitioners. But at the same time, we're dealing with a a large surface, right? It's like trying to it's. It's like someone very, very smart once said, and, and you served in the Israeli military, and it was actually someone who was a who was a, a, a brigadier general in the IDF who said this. He goes, Russia's biggest fear is a Chinese invasion from uh, um, um, the, um, the, not the Serbian, not the, um, why am I forgetting this? From the uh, most, um, from uh, Siberia, sorry. Mm-hmm. He goes, because they can't defend Siberia. The border is too large. He goes, the attack surface is too large. And so we here deal with something very similar. Our attack surfaces are too large. And we have no way of slimming down those attack surfaces because every employee is an endpoint. Every server is an endpoint. Every single one of those. And there's no way to close those endpoints because you need to have two-way communications. Yep. It's a never ending battle. It is. That's the job security. (laughs) Let's talk a little bit about cybersecurity. You're an awesome practitioner. So as in, in your role, what do you spend the most time on? 
So, you know, as part of my role, I get to touch on many different aspects of Cybel. Um, if you if you look on my calendar here, you'll see one hour I'm sitting down with our offensive security team and scoping a, a pen test. The next hour I may be sitting with the SOC because there's something going on and we need to look into it. The next hour it could be around data protection and how do you enhance the policies that we have in place, uh, threat intelligence, anti-phishing, you, you name it. So there's, there's just so much going on. And I, I'm very glad that I have such amazing managers on my team. And I get to walk and, and interact with each one of these teams on, on different projects and different domains. I love that. So when you look back, uh, on your career thus far, you know, we've all been part of really awesome projects. Which one, which security project resonates the most with you that you can share? Obviously, seven years, high intel, you know, we don't want to talk about that kind of, but kind of maybe in the commercial space, if you can share, what, what's been the most fun security project you've ever been a part of? You know, that's a, that's a tough one, because uh, I've been really blessed with having such a diverse experience with so many different people across the military consulting and then now financial services. Um, probably going back to one of my most favorites one was actually establishing a purple team exercise. And maybe for hopefully everyone know what it is, but and I, I didn't know this term until a couple of years ago. So most of us think about, hey, we have a red team, they come in, they do all kinds of damage, they're done, here's the report, good luck. And then the flip side of that, you have the blue team, which is normally your security operation center. And so what they'll do is identify alerts, respond to them, etc. And what I really like about purple teaming is the fact that you bring in these two teams together. Um, and so you execute an attack scenario, but instead of like waiting for the final report and say, hey, good luck, you have these two teams collaborating and say, hey, did you see this? Like, did anything pop up on your screen? And then the blue team will be like, well, no, it, it went under the radar. And so the red team will explain like, here's what we did and here's how you can find us. And to me, the reason I picked the, the purple team experience is just, it's so refreshing to see collaboration between different teams that otherwise would see themselves, you know, as opponents, but all of a sudden you find a different way to bring them together. And as a result, not only you get better understanding of your security posture, you also have a better ability to detect and respond to these things when they happen, not by your own internal team, but an actual attacker. So to me, Purple Team is really a must. If you've seen my, my LinkedIn post recently, I, uh, I also submitted a talk on Purple Teaming. I can't, I can't recommend this enough for, for anyone who wants to take their security to the next level. Yeah. Um I enjoy purple teaming. You know, it's 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 a awesome concept if executed correctly, right? And and so you've got to have the right team culture to make purple teaming really effective. And I learned this lesson the hard way. So I remember I was a, I was a consultant back then, and I executed this red team. Um, I'm not going to name the client. Don't worry. That's fine. And, and we told the security operations team, like, hey, we're going to do an exercise. We're going after these trophies in the environment. And they were like, yeah, we're going to shut you down in like 60 minutes and the, the exercise will be over. Three weeks into that engagement, engagement, you know, finally wrapped up, got all of the trophies. The security team still hasn't detected any of the activities, like any of them. And calling them to say, okay, exercise is over. They're like, what do you mean? You haven't really started yet. No, it's it's over. And I remember working with that organization after the experience. And we spent so much time like rebuilding the trust because the blue team of the house of the house felt like, hey, 
we weren't really well informed. No one communicated with us. No one gave us a chance. And, and that experience really resonated with me as someone who is able to see both sides and, and resonate with both. And so ever since I, I've learned my lesson, like the only way to do proper purple team is through collaboration and being upfront and honest about what it is that you're trying to do. Why are you doing that? And, and what's the ultimate goal? And the ultimate goal should be keep the company safe. Right. We're all on the same team. One thing I've always said, and I continually say, and I will keep saying is the bad guys communicate better than we do with each other. Yes, I completely agree. And I think we need to get better at sharing intelligence, sharing information, modus operandis, so that not only the bad guys or the hackers, I, I try to stay away from saying bad guys because um, they're bad girls as well, but staying away from, from keeping the information to ourselves and really sharing it with the broader population. Yeah, I like to use the term adversaries because yeah, that like is a very that is a very universal term. Shout out to Brian Lozado for that one. Um, he brought it from the Marine Corps and kept with it because in the military we always used to say our adversaries. Mm -hmm. um, but in cyber, you know, hacker is a very sensitive term for a lot of people because there's a lot of very smart people who are on the good side who are hackers. And they consider it to be an insult when a criminal is called a hacker. And Fair so, enough. so I, I use two terms, either cyber criminals or adversaries. And I think that's good for the entire industry to adopt it. It's kind of like my move to name an APT one name instead of seven different ones. I can't keep up with five different names. I can't. <laughs> I can't. It's too confusing. Like, why do I need to go to a directory? To under to like dissect the name of an APT, either give it an APT plus number, we're good, or give it an APT number name, but one name. Can we all agree on one name? It's not hard. One name. Bad Panda. Good enough. We all know Bad Panda, right? But Bad Panda has like seven names. Yeah, it depends who you ask, right? Right. Every vendor is like, I crown these guys wormhole and you're like no no <laughs> stop just let the other vendor win can we do our route you know i think we should name apts like we do hurricanes invent invent a bunch of names and as you identify you go down the list and you pick a name and that's that apt's name and everyone's got to use it that how is. weird would it be if abc named the hurricane julio and these guys named it julia and those guys named it you know hector and you're like are we talking about the same hurricane? <laughs> That's a good call out. Yeah. Maybe maybe that would be the next movement we start on, on LinkedIn. Who knows? Yeah. We, yeah. Name all APTs one name, please. Yeah. I like it. It's uh, We definitely need that. I'll tell you, as a practitioner, like every time someone's like, it's APT 37. And I'm like, okay, I know APT 37. And someone will say Hidden Cobra. And I'm like, who's Hidden Cobra? I don't know what Hidden Cobra is. I hear you. I hear Very you. frustrating. Can you tell it's frustrating? I, yeah, absolutely. Because you waste precious time trying to look this stuff up. Yeah. And, and at the end of the day, all you want to know is what do they do? How much damage can they cause to my organization? And what am I going to do about it? And so, where are they from? Where yeah. are they from? Because that tells me a lot. Mm. Like where a threat is coming from, to me, tells me a lot from one TTPs to their goals, to what are they after, right? Because we can kind of understand threats from different regions have a specific modus operandi that's different from yep. someone else. And right. so knowing, you know, without naming countries, but knowing that a threat is coming from region X tells me where I need to be looking for any signs of compromise or any signs of infiltration over you know a threat from region y which may have me looking somewhere else in my network sure sure so so it's 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 a little different um let's talk a little bit you you kind of brought up phishing earlier and you said isn't it funny how we've been dealing with phishing for 15 and 20 years so are we ever going to get over it do you think like there's an overall solution for phishing i don't know 
I'm I'm fascinated, right? Think about dumpster diving. That used to be a big thing, like what back in the seventies and eighties. And and now we're still dealing with dumpster diving. Different type of it, but you know, yeah, still, still the same, same concept. concept. And so, so to your still- point earlier about fishing, well, it used to be people sending you things via mail, like actual mail, and now it's it's all virtual. So I don't know. I'm I'm going back and forth on this, and would love to hear in the comments if if anyone thinks that hey, is fishing ever going to go away? Now I guarantee you, we're going to get ten messages from ten vendors to say we solve all of your fishing problems. Yeah, I I get these on a regular basis. <laughs> um, I, I appreciate the effort, but at the end of the day, I I don't know that there's like one solution gonna be good for them all out there, one size fit all. Who knows, right? So one of the things, one of my points around fishing is it's it's the alt the, the the definition of defense in depth applies most like most prominently to fishing. Mm-hmm. Right? So you set up a bunch of you know, you block out a bunch of IPs and domains and you do a bunch of controls to keep out a lot of malicious stuff, right? And you use safe links and you use, you know, CDR technology and you're trying to do all these different things within your system to block out as much of it as possible. But when you're dealing, right. But when you're dealing with billions, yeah, they're, they're bound. Like, like I said, the attack surface is just too large. I think you, we all have to adapt to a certain mentality and that's the mentality that I always go by. Something somewhere is going to break. Now what? Always think about the, Worst like scenario. Look for these black swans, and and don't assume that because you have this technology or you have that team, it's bulletproof. There's no bulletproof in cyber, unfortunately. Uh, but that's what keeps it really interesting and and engaging for most of us. Yeah, I I like that. That's a really good approach. Kind of like the idea of. Um, of something somewhere is going to break, what do you do? It, you know, we'll, we'll talk about solar winds in a minute, but uh, you know, that's kind of what happened to a lot of people with solar winds, right? Is something somewhere broke, but what broke was really serious, and then kind of fixing it was extremely challenging, simply because of the scope of it. I can tell you, and and my team knows this. If things get too quiet. I get nervous. I'm like, okay, something must be going on. What are we missing? And and most people are like, well, it's quiet. That's that's a good thing. And I'm like, nope, that's not a good thing. We must be missing something. Let's go hunt. Let's go search for it. You were trained by the IDF. When all of a sudden all the channels stop talking, you go, they haven't stopped working. They're doing something. We just don't know what it is. Let's go find it. Yeah, right? seven years of, of cyber or military training definitely leave a mark on you and kind of forces you to think maybe in a slightly different way than most people. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I think like a counter intel, I'm always constantly just going, okay, one, how would I do it? Number two, what what would be the methods I would use to do it? I'm constantly putting myself in that position, you know, in Hebrew, I like to teach our audience a little fun. Like what she talked about right now, for those listening from Israel, we do have people that listen from Israel. But for those all around the world, if you want to learn a Hebrew word that she just described, it's called sheketasiati. It means like quiet, like all of a sudden, like there's nothing happening industrially. Like everything is just silent. Like all of the channels go dark. Everything goes quiet. All of a sudden, you know, everything kind of disappears from radar, right? Think of like, that's nerve wracking for a lot of people to go, Oh, wow, that's great. We've won. And you're like, no, 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 no. Something big's happening. Like, whoa. Yeah. And, and that's why I think someone coined this term a couple of years ago, like assume breach mindset. 
you always assume that there's something going on, you just haven't found it yet. And it's your job as a security leader to find the next issue before it becomes a, a big problem. So what, what cyber problem do you see us really kind of overcoming? What problem are, do you think we're over the hump on? What challenge rather than a problem? I think we're getting it, you know, it's kind of tough to answer, right? Because maybe, maybe I'll say something and then someone's going to respond and say, hey, but our company still deals with that issue, right? Right. But I think that's, a, that's, that's kind of a posture issue, right? That's more of a posture and resource issue. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, some companies will say, hey, for us, it's really about SPLC. Like all of our developers adapted SPLC. And then another company will be like, no, no, that's a big issue. We have so many issues with our developers. Um, one company could say, well, our employees are really engaged with, with cyber security. But then someone else will be like, oh, no, our employees still think it's like, you know, someone else's problem and someone else's issues. So it's kind of hard to talk about it as, a, as an industry, what are the, the issues we're overcoming I wish there was a really good answer to it, but I think it's kind of dependent on the company, the industry you're in, um, and the level of exposure you have to some of these bigger issues we deal with as, as cyber. So in your personal experience, which one are we getting better at? Your personal experience only. <laughs> not the industry, not a vertical. What's one thing where now you look at it and you go, 10 years ago, this was a big problem. Today, we've minimized its impact. You know, it's really hard to say. Wow, and you're I, sticking I, You've been media trained really well. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. It's hard to say, James, because at the end of the day, and, and I mentioned this, uh, we're still dealing with some of the issues we dealt with 10 years ago. And so does that mean we're getting better? We're getting smarter? Or we, like, why are we still dealing with the same issues? And yeah. it's something we personally go I mean, back. So, so I, I won't put you on. That's fine. We'll 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 move on. I will tell you this though. It's there are aspects where I feel like we're much better from where we were as an industry ten years ago. I think from a detection perspective of traditional cyber criminal gang, we've gotten way better than 10 years ago. I think we're night and day. I mean, they're got, they've gotten better as well. Our adversaries have gotten really good, but we've gotten really, really good as well. Like there's some great vendors out there with some great tools that help in the detection of what I would call the standard kind of malware ransomware type of attacks that tend to be more business disruptors rather than data exfiltration. But but at the so same it, time, it, again, it goes back to how do you measure improvement? When I when I look at the detection space, a lot of time. Are you still there? Yeah, yeah, we're I, we can hear you just slightly. Your your camera froze a little bit, but I blame it on dolphins. So what I was trying to say, you, you touched on detection, uh, which is an area dear and near to my heart. We talk a lot about automation and, and moving in that direction. And that's absolutely great. That's the way we should go. But if you still spend a great amount of time setting up individual alerts, individual playbooks, then are we, are we that much better? Like every company out there that, that uses the same solution, probably a few million companies, each and every one of these companies sat down and had to insert IOCs, indicators of compromise from a recent attack. Is that as efficient as we can be as industry, really? Well, we when you look at when you look at progress from 10 years ago, yeah, but when you look at it from an ideal 2021, you know, kind of perspective of how we operate, no. We should be better, but I think the challenge remains in the fact 
that cybersecurity is uniquely different from any other industry, also from a vendor perspective. And I can't believe I'm defending this right now, but <laughs> my God, where have you brought me to? But every network is designed and built different and every implementation is very different, right? So when you think of like downloading a messenger on your app or on your, on your, your phone or your, you know, your laptop or your iPad, it's a simple install and you're done. And we've gotten really good. I mean, I remember when installing antivirus was a complex thing. Like you had to go through and you, I mean, it wasn't like a three-step, like click, click, agree, 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 done, run. I'm giving away your age, just saying. Uh, it's okay. <laughs> I, I have nothing to hide from. <laughs> my, my grays give it away already. But I think there's there's aspects of that where, you know, implementation still remains one of the most challenging um, um, aspects for vendors in order to be able to really create the um, perfect product mm -hmm. that would fit because, I mean, every environment's different and it's uniquely different. No environments are the same. No tool operates the same way in two distinct environments. They operate very differently and it's about, there's so many different aspects to it. I mean, I get what you're saying. I respect it. And I think you're, you're, you obviously bring a very valid point of view to it. I just feel like we, as an industry, we've, you know, you've, you've still got organizations that run on mainframes. Yeah. I think it goes back to the point we discussed earlier and that's about sharing information and making it available so that if, if we have similar environments, we're not doing things in silos. And that's regardless of, of any vendor out there. No, and, and, and I agree with that. I, I completely agree with that. I think there's an inherent challenge um, within, like I said, within cyber because so I, I, I'm working as an advisor for several startups, right? I'm helping several startups that we as an organization are also looking at to build their security program. And, and I did that three years ago, and then I took on my full-time CISA role, and, but I still do it. I love working with startups. I love being in the mud. I love having a $10 budget and buying a steak and getting a $50 steak meal for $10. Like, no one loves to do that more than me, and I'd debate anyone on that, right? Mm -hmm. So th there's uh, not only a, a misunderstanding, but there's also the idea of how do you implement tools? How do you position them in a place where they're able to really provide you some level of security? And a lot of organizations today, a lot of companies, when they're just getting started, especially in the world where now everyone's building on the cloud and they're being they're going very cloud native very early. So they're not having to do what I think you and I have to go through, which is a little bit of that digital transformation. I'm air quoting it for those who listen, because that's a buzzword I want to get rid of. Um, but as they go through that, there's, there's other challenges that go within the performance of how the code was written that sometimes doesn't work in a cloud native environment. Right. Yeah. These guys are starting to, to adapt and uh, move quickly with the changes and where technology is taking us. The, the challenge I have today, and I think a challenge a lot of people have, and I don't know if you experience it, is the diversity of cloud providers and then the diversity of tools within cloud providers yep. doesn't really give you, confuses a lot of people. So everyone builds with one specific cloud provider or may try to build with multiples, but then they realize that there's adjustments that have to be made in order for it to work one way with this cloud provider and the same, be able to give the user the same experience with a different cloud provider and there's no standard. And that's one of those where I've been, you know, when I speak to cloud providers now and they go, how can we earn your business? I'm like standardize, like phone lines, like telecom. Like I ask anyone today, show me the difference between T-Mobile, AT&T and Verizon Go. There isn't one anymore. Mm. 10 years ago, when I worked for Verizon 15 years ago, yeah, there was a clear difference in cell phone coverage. If you had Verizon, you had far more coverage because they used pure 
CDMA and GSM which still wasn't as developed as it was. But now there's no difference between Verizon and AT&T T-Mobile. There isn't. That doesn't exist. That's good to know. That's good to know, James. Like it just doesn't exist. So l- let's go back to kind of um, talking a little bit about the cybersecurity community. What's what's some of the best practices you do as a cybersecurity practitioner to stay up to date with the latest and kind of stay on your toes so that you're constantly informed? I think it's probably a combination, right? Like following the right people on, on LinkedIn and Twitter, um, the right blog post. And I'm, I'm happy to share some of my top favorites uh, with you after today's call. And the most important thing is like, you must love it like put yourself out there and and i i still get very excited when there's a new announcement whether that's about new technology or or a new feature or or a new vulnerability by the way um i still get very excited by these things and so it's not just something that i do because i have to but something that i do because i want to and i think that makes a big difference yeah, you gotta love security, right? Like we did, we talked about that on when we did the resume reviews, right? If you don't love cyber, don't get into it. Because if you're, if you're looking at this as a job and you want to go be a SOC analyst, SOC analyst is a very, very boring job if you don't love cyber. Mm-hmm. I and I think it applies to any kind of job, really, not not just cyber. Like if if you love what you do, you're gonna have a better time, and you're likely gonna get better opportunities. I. Couldn't agree more. You nailed it. So now we move to my favorite part of the interview, folks. This part of the interview is the CISO Insight Round, where I put Ronana on the hot seat. Six questions. You gotta, you know, one word answers. We'll see how you do. You ready? Okay. I have a buzzword graveyard in my backyard. I bury buzzwords. Which one do you want to? Which buzzword would you bury in my graveyard? Prevention. Prevention. Interesting. Why? I don't have prevention on the list. There you go. It's going to be a first. Everyone that talked to me about prevention, to me, prevention is, is old school. You can't prevent the next thing from happening, whether that's the new incident or, or new vulnerability. You just have to accept the fail and you have to react to it. And so to me, anyone that talks promise me, Hey, one hour percent prevention. I'm like, nope, ain't such thing anymore. Next. So, and on your email spam, if there's a word prevention anywhere in the email, does that directly go into your spam mailbox? You never see that email. We're likely go- not going to have a second conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. What What's one up and coming technology that's going to change the way we do cybersecurity? You know, there are so many promises out there, right? Every vendor that reaches out to me, they're like, we're the next big thing. We're going to completely change and revamp how you do cyber. Um, I am still waiting for that, like, one special technology that, that's going to change everything. I'm still waiting. So I'm sure I'm going to... Do you feel something. like AI is going to really enhance cyber or quantum? I'd like to think so, but I think we're still in very early stages of it and so it's not 100% clear how that's actually going to happen and and you gotta take it from the 30,000 feet concept and bring it down to the 10,000 feet or or even to the ground level and start talking about how do you actually apply it see to me the the um I spent a lot of time studying quantum I have Mm -hmm. since 2019 and I feel like quantum computing is going to be the next big thing. And it's going to be a matter of who gets access to it first. And I think that's the scary part from a, from a war gaming perspective. If your adversary gets it and is able to utilize it, um, it's, 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 it's a game changing. It's, it's like, I think quantum computing in cyber is no different than the nuclear bomb in warfare in traditional warfare. And, you know, that's why I really like the, the black swan concept. And that's why I always um, sit down my teams and say, okay, walk me through a black swan scenario and how we're going to react to it. Like it. I'm, I'm curious to sit on one of those when you talk about quantum with your team. 
That'd yeah, be a very I'm fun one. Love no it. Problem. So what's the last book you read? So I uh, read a book called Finish. Give yourself the gift of done. And all of you who read books about setting up goals know that, you know, it's January 1st, you have your long list of goals and you're ready to go for the year. Come January 15th, you probably drop like eight out of the 10. And by end of January, you drop all of them. And so this book, and I read it during the holiday season, really talks about how do you get things done and, and how to go from perfect, which is what we're all after, to done. So I find it really insightful. I love it. What's the last movie you saw? I watched a movie this past weekend. It's called Safety to Numb. And it's about an expedition happening in Alaska. It's a documentary. 70 men and women who go from Anchorage all the way to Nome. It's about 1,000 miles expedition. Um, it's in February or March every year in Alaska. And watching them go through this experience was absolutely mind-blowing. That is is it on Netflix? Uh, yeah, yeah. You can watch it online. And one of the things, and I know it sounds crazy, but I found a lot of what they have in common with cybersecurity mindset. I was uh, talking to, to my family afterwards. Like they always say, you got to be prepared for the next thing that's going to happen. And you got to be self-sufficient. You got you to gotta have resilient uh, to handle all kinds of situations. And if you don't walk into, into it prepared, we're probably going to die. <laughs> so look at it and, and look at the cyberspace. And, and I think we can find a lot of things that it has in common with cybersecurity. I love it. That's awesome. What's your favorite music? I listen to different types of music. Uh, so it really depends on what time of the day is it and what mood I'm, I'm in can be anything from um, pop music, 80s, um, some opera, classic music, you name it. All right. So here's a question I haven't asked anyone who's ever been on the show outside of, uh, outside of Nier. Uh, your favorite Israeli artist? My favorite Israeli artist. I think that's probably going to be Idan Reichel. Idan Reichel. I knew it. I knew it. You seemed like an Idan Reichel kind of I person. Am, I am. I'm a big fan. He is unbelievable. For those who don't know Idan Reichel, the project of Idan Reichel, I'll link it below in the show notes. Um, so you guys can catch it. He's got, he does some very world-class music. I've seen him in concert like so many times. It's unbelievable. It's I, uh, yeah. Every time I go to Israel, I uh, try to go and see one of his shows. He was in Atlanta two years ago. And he um, was he, in LA as well. Yeah, Yeah. he, he did a show at the City Winery here. Mm -hmm. And we it was an awesome show it was just great show he's he's awesome so last question what's one thing you took away from solar winds solar winds so i would probably say it's detection will fail you we always put a lot of emphasis and spend hours and hours like building these correlation rules but at the end of the day they're not going to find that one thing that you should be finding and so the question then becomes what do you do next what do you do when all of your detection mechanisms failed and now it's time to respond i i like that that's that's awesome uh ronana thank you for coming on the show absolutely it was a, an absolute pleasure being here today thanks for having me james folks um Another CISA talk down. We'll be back more with next week. If you haven't caught us, catch me live Monday through Thursday at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time with the practitioner brief, a risk impact and mitigation view into some of the latest headlines without all the fluff and the clickbait, just some real actionable stuff that you can take, whether you're an analyst or a CISO, down to your team and really break it down. I do this live. It's a 10-minute podcast every single day. It's live on LinkedIn, YouTube, and Facebook. Um, so you'll want to tune into that. We'll be back next week with another awesome episode of CISO Talk. Tomorrow, um, Thursday, uh, 1 p.m. Eastern uh, Standard, we'll be live for CISO Thursdays with Renee, Chris, and Naomi. 
221 and 2021 is our goal. So if you're hiring or if you're looking for work, join us. We're there to help you bridge that gap and find the right talent. It's it's free. That's the beauty of it. See, we're it's like it's free. We're doing it as a we just want to do a commu- a massive community outreach for 2021 and really make an impact and drive the diversity of thought in all cyber teams. And that diversity of thought comes from um, looking at people's backgrounds and understanding how it can benefit cyber. And we hope to help you reach that ability to be able to do that. Until then, folks, thanks so much for listening. Please make sure to subscribe, comment, let us know your feedback on today's episode. We'll be back again next week. And like I said, Ranana again. Thank you so much for having me. All right, folks. I'm James Azar signing off. Stay healthy and stay cyber safe. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast and share it with your friends and colleagues. And get all the latest information at cyberhubpodcast.com. Thank you.